0: Welcome to the Pickable Addiction Podcast. Today, I'm excited to talk with Chris Olson, co-host of the Pickable Studio, Pickable content creator and filmmaker. His podcast is one of the most popular in Pickable, and it's a privilege to have him on the show. Welcome, Chris. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Like, I really appreciate Yeah. Just before Christmas now, was it 19th of December, we're recording this. So in the run-up to Christmas, I really appreciate you taking the time out uh, of your day um, to, to, to do this.
1: Yeah, for sure. No, it's fun to it's fun to uh be on a podcast where I don't have to do like all
0: the planning for my own podcast. I just kinda I just get, get to show up and just talk. Roll up. <laughs> That's you right. Know, I, get, I think uh, Brian uh Lim, you know, from Building Pickable had him on and he kinda struggles with that because like he kept getting to the point where he was asking me the questions. And I'm like, Brian, this isn't this isn't your thing now? <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I'm I'm the one asking the questions. So it's, it's quite fun.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's really funny. It would definitely be Hard to turn some of that off, but that's hilarious. (laughs) Yeah, it was was funny, but um, yeah, so I did um, actually get a good chuckle. By the way, Uh, I had listened to part of his episode and I laughed where he mentioned me again and I was like dude even on not on your podcast
0: I'm getting mentioned that's right yeah I forgot to mention that yeah that, yeah that was hilarious I was waiting for him to mention you and if he didn't I'll like, say you, you managed to get through a whole show without mentioning Chris but he did it anyway so <laughs> that's so funny yeah. it's always it's always uh, yeah it's always yeah it's always funny on his show when he does that but anyway so um yeah for people that haven't heard of you uh, or ha- heard about you so there might be a few in the UK that are l- l- less familiar with us podcasts, but, um, yeah, just tell us a little bit about yourself and and your background.
1: Yeah, uh, I run the YouTube channel, Mm -hmm. the pickleball studio and the pickleball studio podcast. I've been doing it for probably like a little over two years now. Uh, it primarily focuses on paddle reviews. Like when I started, there weren't a ton of it. So that was kind of the niche I decided to fill. Occasionally there's some other content on there, but by and large, it's all paddles similar with the podcast it's a lot of news talk about paddles kind of what's going on uh in pickleball and then prior to pickleball i had been doing filmmaking and also i ran other youtube channels so it was kind of a that's kind of why this one happened is i already had experience doing youtube and i was like wow well this pickleball thing's fun and there's not a lot of youtube channels i was like maybe it'd be cool if i made a pickleball youtube channel so the filmmaking youtube and everything kind of just made the perfect storm to like make a channel really quickly
0: yeah so was filmmaking something you did did you do uh you know degrees or straight out of school you did filmmaking
1: so i actually didn't go to school for it so how it started was i was really into competitive rubik's cube solving when i was younger i got into that at like age 12 and then by maybe 14 i was making youtube videos they weren't they were nothing good like they were horrible videos but like in speed cubing, people just made videos a lot about like oh here's how I got faster or just kind of like pickleball they talk about lots of different things (laughs) and so I was making videos and I was like oh this is kind of fun and then I can't remember exactly how old I was maybe like 15 or 16 I just I had an iPhone and I was just like taking pictures with it and I was like oh I was like this picture looks kind of good and then it just spiraled into a rabbit hole of like Photography was really fun. Then I got a real camera. Then I got a real camera that could do video, which made the YouTube channel better. And I was like, wow, these things are are pretty fun. So then I started doing freelance jobs at a pretty young age. I got a job uh, making speed cubing videos. And then it just kept spiraling where I was like, by the time college came up, I was like, I'm already making money. Like I already have a job and I'm Mm -hmm. reasonably good at this and I like it. So I was like... I talked to a lot of friends who had gone to filmmaking school and they were basically like, it's not that useful. Like you spend a lot of money, you will make some good connections, but by and large, like I probably wouldn't have spent the money. So I was like, okay, instead of spending that money, I'll just invest the money in my business. And then that's literally the only job I've ever had was filmmaking. And now I guess pickleball YouTube is my second job.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you had like uh so I noticed that you, you know, just looking, into your backgrounds. Like, so you made your own documentary, right? Why we cube, which I looked on the, inter- yep. uh, on, on YouTube, right? That has 1.2 million views currently. So it's, it's a- yeah. Which is crazy much a few times. <laughs> and, yeah. um, and, and, also a Netflix documentary, or oh, you it wasn't, you didn't build, make it right. So you, was it head of uh, some photography aspect of that? Um,
1: yeah. I was one of did? the like lead cinematographers
0: on it. Okay. And that was called the speed cubers for anybody that does want to look yeah. it up. But so you, you were quite successful in speed cubing, right? I mean, apart from content creation, you were, you were quite successful as a competitor in speed cubing. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I held a couple world records and then I was probably top 50 or 60 in a handful of other events. Um So I was, yeah, I was, I was decent at it.
0: Yeah. So, so do you, is that something that you still do, or even just for yourself, or, or, or not?
1: Sometimes. So actually, I would say, like in the last like week or two, I just got bored one day, and I was like, I just, I wonder how fast I can still do it. I knew it would still be roughly the same time, which like for a regular Rubik's cube is around like eight or nine seconds. But you know, when you haven't really practiced in a year or two, you probably lose like a few tenths of a second, which is in speed cubing that's a lot of time. Yeah. Uh, so I don't do it frequently, but I did sit down for like two hours, like maybe a couple weeks ago and just did a bunch of solves. Cause I was like, I don't know. I'm just kind of bored. Like, let's just do it. <laughs> um, and then next year there just happens to be like the North American championships in my state. So I might, I might go to that just to see some old friends and like, maybe I'll compete in one or two events and just, do it for fun but by and large like pickleball keeps me so busy at this point that i i don't have any time to like keep up with the speed keeping yeah. stuff anymore
0: yeah what, what 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 did you kind of put away from that
1: uh that's a good question i think it was a handful of things so after after the netflix documentary i was just getting kind of burnt out i mean i had done i had competed for that would have been like eleven years of my life at that point, and it was, you know, you're constantly traveling. Uh, I was constantly making content for my own YouTube channel, and then another company. They were kind of like the pickleball central of speed cubing. So I was making content for them and myself, and it it just became a lot of content to juggle. And then I had also gotten married, so I was like, okay, I'd like to bring in more money, or I want to focus on my career more because making Uh, videos and speed cubing was fine and you can make a perfectly good living in there. Kind of like you can in pickleball, but I just knew like, okay, when I'm 35, me doing like higher end films versus like the stuff I'm doing in speed cubing is probably a better career path. So I started focusing on that more. And then when COVID hit, it was kind of like this break from speed cubing. There was no competitions and I could tell I was kind of just falling out of it a little bit, uh, which was also difficult because it was, you know, 11 years of your life that's a pretty big like mm-hmm. identity thing to be uh associated with. So, it was kind of just a combination of like getting older, needing to focus on my job more and thinking like my biggest thing was that I I still kind of have this problem. But if I can't be really good at something mm-hmm. or see that I'm progressing, mm-hmm. then I don't really want to do it. And with speed cubing, when you were formerly one of the best and now you're getting passed by people because you don't have the time to practice it just became like more frustrating than it was worth because it was like hmm. i want to be able to compete with you guys but i don't have the time to do that because i have to go make money and you know they're like 15 and they have unlimited time
0: yeah yeah okay i think yeah that is interesting so what did you find did you find that the people were still getting faster, so they were kind of beating your world record. Or, or did you find that as time was going on, you had less time to practice, you just weren't as quick, or was, it, or was it a bit of each?
1: Uh a little bit of each, but it was mostly just that because I didn't have the time to practice. Right, right. They were just getting faster than me, so I mostly maintained my speed up until you know I decided to quit. But it was definitely just like, man, like I would have to put in so many more hours to like continually like keep up with these people and it's like man i just don't i think i didn't have i actually didn't have the time but i also just didn't have the desire to put in that amount of hours to get get there
0: yeah for that extra tenth of a second <laughs> yeah exactly exactly <laughs> yeah okay yeah and so and you've also done a, a documentary in pickleball right which is the zane Navatil documentary you did that a yeah okay yeah that was fun yeah Yeah, that. I mean, it's a yeah, it's a it's a great documentary actually. I hadn't hadn't seen it before. Um, I think I was getting confused because I've heard you mention documentaries before, and I'm pretty sure I thought I had that Netflix were going to be doing a documentary at some point. But that's that's nothing to do with you, right? You're not you're not involved in that, all right?
1: Yeah, yeah. No, I'm at this point. I'm all in on the pickleball. YouTube documentaries are probably like a a a history thing for me now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So. uh, just uh yeah, just to talk a little bit about you know when you first heard about pickleball, like or when did you first find out about pickleball and how did you get into it? Hi, Mark Mars here. I hope you're enjoying the show. This podcast is sponsored in part by the Pickleball Addiction Store and newsletter. To support the show, please check out the Pickleball Addiction Store at pickleballaddiction.co, where we stock a wide range of paddles, balls, nets, and other accessories. Use coupon code POD ten. That's P O D one zero to get 10% off your first purchase. You can also check out the Pickleball Addiction newsletter at pickleballaddiction.news, where we cover the latest news in Pickleball from the UK and around the world. Thanks for your support and now back to the show.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's funny how this happened too. So uh,
1: when I was growing up younger, anytime friends invited me to something, they would be like, oh, you gotta come try this. If I didn't think I was gonna be good, I didn't want to do it, but also I was just didn't like trying a lot of new things, which thankfully has gotten better as I've gotten older. But I had a friend reach out and he was like, Hey, I know you used to like tennis. I've been playing this game called pickleball. I think you'd probably be good at it. You want to come play? And he was like, It's like, it's kind of like small tennis. And I was like, eh, Sure, like I'll come play. And uh, we went, we actually played on a tennis court. Uh, I, I think it had pickleball lines, but we were still on a tennis net, so it was still higher. I didn't know the difference; it didn't really matter. But yeah. I got my butt absolutely handed to me. Like it was embarrassing how bad I got beat because it's not like I was an amazing tennis player growing up. I honestly, I probably was literally a three-five a tennis player. <laughs> but I was still frustrated because the friend I was playing has no racket sport background. Like he plays some soccer, so I'm just sitting there going, "Like I've played table tennis, I've played tennis. Like why am I being beat?" And, you know, I probably got pickled to 11 like though at everything. And so after that, I was like, I am buying my own paddles, and I am going to beat you at this game. Like, I refuse to be worse. At, and it was just super fun. Like, you know, it was the same classic story. Like, you start hitting, and you're like, wow, this is, like, super addicting. And, yeah, uh, yeah after that, I bought my own set. I spent, like, $120 on two paddles so me and my wife could play. And within like a month i was like way over the top with it
0: yeah yeah it tends to happen like that right yeah it is just so addicting. it's something about hitting a yeah. wiffle ball with a with a solid bat that is that's yeah, yeah. just addicting <laughs> it's very but, funny so i mean i think you've already kind of uh you've already kind of leaned into this but like you know i, I get how quickly after you know starting playing pickleball did you start doing more than just playing and, and looking to start the YouTube channel and things like that.
1: Yeah, that's also funny because <laughs> because I had recently gotten done being burnt out on speed cubing. A, a thing I kept telling people was I don't want to mix my hobby and my job anymore. Because I think that's also kind of what made me yeah. stop liking speed cubing as much is because I was working in it so much. So my friends were seeing me get into it. And I had a couple of people be like, oh, do you think you'd ever do like pickleball videos? And I was like, no, I was like, "There's no way," because I I want these to be separate, and I was like so mentally burnt out that I was like, "I can't even imagine trying to do both of these." And then, I don't know. Let's see. I started in April, and by June, like two three months, I was I had made a YouTube video for someone else, uh, but I was like, I did the whole video. I was talking. It was about how to do the spin serve, and that video got. Uh, yeah. Like 40,000, 000, 30,000 000 views in like a week or two. And I was like, whoa. I was like, nobody knows who I am. And like, this video did really well. So then I was kind of like, maybe I should do videos. And at first, it wasn't even going to be YouTube. I just thought, well, I'll just do what I've been doing. I'll just make filmmaking pickleball videos. Like, I'll make commercials for companies. I could do ads, all these different things. And so I, I did do that for a little bit. I was reaching out to companies. I did some really small stuff, um, also some stuff locally for some people. And then by November, I was like, huh, that bi- YouTube video I did a while ago, I was like, that actually did kind of good. Like, maybe I should just make my own channel and see if that's any fun. So it did, it did not take long before
0: I completely reversed everything I said and started working in pickleball. <laughs> I'm just worried. We've got to find Chris Olsen a new hobby in like six years time then, basically.
1: <laughs> I know. I, see, it's funny because I actually am super aware of this now. It's like, I'm still not perfect, but I'm getting a lot better about like, okay, work is mostly done at these hours, and then you need to go do something else that you really enjoy. And it's it's been helping. It's good because it keeps pickleball fresh, but it also keeps me like happy over here.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. For sure. So, um, uh, I mean, I you know, I actually love, I love the podcast. Like I say, it's, it's one of the most popular podcasts for a reason. It's one of those ones where, you know, it comes in, I automatically just download it straight away and get listening. And us go. Think, <laughs> so, I think like it's, you know, I, mean, I listen to it mostly on audio, but I do love to watch the video because, the you know, because your filmmaking background, the, the the quality of the production is like really high. The same can be said for Brian Lim, right? He's got like a filmmaking or a, you know in some way kind of uh background on that so he's a great to watch like on youtube as well but I'm, I'm interested like how much importance do you feel do you put on that kind of aspect of of when you're creating a, a youtube channel like for me it makes a difference but yeah what, to what level do you think it really makes a difference for you
1: in in terms of like the quality of production
0: yeah i mean does it matter does it matter does it does it it translate into views does it translate into you know subscribes and people you know being more compelled to watch your stuff
1: yeah i think it's this is actually something probably within the first year of the youtube channel i had to really think about because initially because of having a filmmaking background i was like all these videos need to be perfect like i want everything i want like the color to be awesome i want every shot to be great like yada 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 and then i just kind of quickly realized like okay youtube is different in that not every video has to be the absolute highest level of production which as i realized this i it was helped take some stress off me yeah so i think it it definitely helps to have higher quality videos i don't think that's ever going to hurt you but the content that you are producing needs to be something that people will share or talk about or is relevant. Because if you don't have those, then the quality doesn't matter. Like, and actually probably one of the funniest examples of this is Kyle Kazuda, that pickleball guy. I'm good friends with him and he is the polar opposite of me. Like he has no (laughs) filmmaking background, but he's like all content. He knows how to tell a story. He knows how to make people care about the content. And he shoots everything with an iPhone. He knows nothing about like proper settings for a camera. And I always joke with him. I'm like, dude, it is crazy to me that I will put like, let's say 40 hours into a video. And let's just say it gets 15,000 views. And Kyle puts a lot of effort into his videos now too. But formally, it was like, Kyle puts like five hours into a video shot on an iPhone. And it's like 60,000 views. And it was like, okay, like maybe I'm doing this wrong. But I think it does matter if you can combine both. It's amazing. But first you have to have good content. If you don't have that focusing on the production, like does not matter at all.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of my, my gut feel as well. Like I, I, I used to have a non pickleball YouTube channel as well. And the content that we were putting out then was kind of, wasn't really available anywhere else, not to the, to the same depth and level that anywhere else was. So people came and watched it anyway, because they liked the content and the, the production level is pretty much what i'm what you see now from me which is like not very high because i still haven't bothered to learn like uh, what i should probably learn in premiere <laughs> premiere pro i really should like just take a, a moment just to learn some of the stuff i need to do. like i have all the audio coming in as like one channel instead of two channels and then you know if there's a noise in the background or mine and i can't mute it like when it's someone else is talking i know i should do this and i know it probably isn't that hard but like yeah <laughs> I'm going to start doing a i try trying get a little bit harder at that. But in the past, I kind of got away with it. But, I, and I think, it's, like you say, content, the content's most important first, probably. But then uh, the production level, I think just seeing what you and Brian have done like, in the pickable space kind of really makes me, because it makes me want to watch it more. So,
1: Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it helps as the content elevates. Like, I think it does help uh, the industry as a whole. Like, I think even if you look at, YouTube content and Pickleball when I started, the production value across the board was significantly lower than it is now. Like, if you look at a lot of the big YouTube channels, like, everyone has gotten a lot better. Even, like, John Q recently. It's not that his uh, quality of content was ever bad, but if you watch, like, his most recent video and you go back six months ago, like, there's a big difference in his editing, the production of what he's filming, how it looks, like... It's all changed a lot and i think it will get to a point in the content space where content is still always king but there will be a like bare level of uh production or like base level of production that kind of everyone has to meet to get started and if you're below that it's probably you're fighting an uphill battle a little bit
0: yeah 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 makes sense so you're very much known for your paddle, paddle reviews i guess you started out that quite early on and now you know you're probably the the most respected paddle reviewer on 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 the internet still um but i would be interesting to know like you know what to go to a little bit more detail about like your your paddle paddle testing process so i know there's a link to your you've got a spreadsheet where you keep all the data um which is kind of interesting and um for the viewers, the way I find that is I go through Chris's Instagram and then into his link tree and then I find, uh, I find the sheet there because I don't have it saved, but that's the way I go. But yeah, so I mean, that's all the data, but just the, in, in practical terms, can you share a little bit about your the, the, the process that you go through?
1: Yeah, I mean, I still think it's it's kind of always being developed, but the main thing right now is as soon as we get paddles, and this is something I want to streamline even more next year because this year it was kind of sloppy, but like when we get paddles in, because there's probably, I'm going to make up a number, but there's probably like five or seven a week that show up, and then these, well, actually, you can't see it on my thing, but behind me there's a shelf, and I have the swing weight and twist weight machine, so usually immediately the first thing I do is I put them in there, I get the stats, I try to put them in the database, and then I'll like look at the surface under a microscope just to see if there's anything interesting that might be different that the company didn't tell me about. And then after I've done that, we try and pick like one day a week where we take all of the paddles that we just got and then we run all the spin numbers on them. Cause before paddles came in infrequently enough that it was like, oh, like one paddle a week. Now it's kind of like you have to bash all the paddles because you have like 15 at a time and you don't want to take like four days of your week going to a court just to do spin test. So we we get all those numbers, database is now done, and then there's usually an order of the paddles I'm working on. So there's, there's more paddles coming in than we could possibly ever review. So normally we're always way behind on like technically what the most recent paddle we got is. So once I finish what I'm working on, I'll then move on to whatever's next based on these days, the reviews I focus on are largely what I think the pickleball like market as a whole wants to see. So for example, like I know if Selkirk is releasing a paddle that I should probably make that a high priority because people are going to ask a ton of questions about that one. Or, you know, like six zero became a name where it's kind of the same thing. So you're like, okay, these should be higher priority. But it, it kind of just, it's that plus whatever I think is interesting. So, for example, the Adidas Metal Bone, like, no one really asked me to review that thing. But I was like, I want to talk about this. One, because it is an interesting paddle. has a bolt concept that no one's ever done. But also, I was like, you have a lot of talking points. The bolts, it's 260, and the paddle wasn't good. So, it's like, this is a video I want to make rather than what I think people want to see. Uh but yeah, that's like most... Well, I'll expand just a little bit more. After that, once we've decided like, okay, we're going to review this paddle, I'll usually hit it for around a week and a half. If I if it's not a first look video. First look video, it's usually one session on the court and you'll kind of see everything live. If it's a review, it's usually a week and a half more. And if it's a big release, like when the Gearbox was coming out, I spent probably almost three weeks with that paddle just because I want to be... I'm always certain when I post a video, but I want to, like, make sure every single little detail can be covered. Like, I don't want someone to comment and be like, oh, you forgot this or you missed this. (laughs) Like, it's kind of a problem I have, to be honest. I don't think most people would care, but, like, I just really want to make sure that when someone goes to buy, like, a nearly $300 paddle, that they have all the information that they – could need to decide if it's worth it or not worth it because yeah. three hundred dollars is a lot of money, right? And you you don't want to feel like buyer's remorse when you spend that much money. Yeah,
0: for sure, for sure. So I mean, you. I mean, yeah. So you, I mean, you're saying you getting like seven seven paddles a day? Did you say? No, 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 no. Oh, Maybe seven like seven week. paddles a week. Okay, but that, I, I mean, I, I guess a lot of them don't make it because they you know they're just clones of some other paddles some most of them don't i imagine most yeah them don't make it through that filter
1: <laughs> yeah uh, most don't make it through because they're just not that interesting like i've gotten to a point now where when a company emails me i can tell pretty much within like 20 seconds of looking at their website or an image of the paddle if it's something else sometimes i'm wrong actually one of probably the most famous examples of me being wrong in recent times was uh the 60 paddles. Yeah. When they came out, they messaged me in like November or December of last year and they were like, "Hey, we're going to send you these." And this is when I was a little less strict. So I was like, "Okay." And I was like, "This is probably just a YOLO vision. Like it's like the same shape. Like I I don't have time for this." And they kept messaging me and they're like, "We're promise, we're different, we're promise, we promise, we promise just hit the paddle." And then I finally started hitting it and I was like, "Huh? I was like, "This is really good." But it took them probably months of being like Chris, we promise this thing is not what you think it is. And then I finally looked at it, but now I've—I just—I think I know enough about the market to kind of know when someone is just a clone or not.
0: Yeah, for sure. It's funny. I was going to ask you about that, but yeah, because I had Dale on the podcast as well, and um, uh, from Six Zero, and he kind of mentioned that you know the same thing. Basically, you've just said that. You know, it took you a few months to like really kind of like then pick it up and play with it. And obviously it's like, it was great for him ultimately, because, you know, you've got, you know, a fairly large audience within pickleball and to, you know, to be, then be using his paddle for it being your go-to paddle for, for everything you do is kind of good for him. But I, I you know, he, he did kind of allude to like some of the stuff that was different or novel about that paddle when it came out. Um, of course there's been some people that have kind of replicated that now but like when you first picked up that paddle then like what did you what when you when you suddenly realized okay this is different like it, it's not what i thought it was like how how did it feel for you like what, what was different you noticed
1: yeah i think the the first thing was the difference between the double black diamond and the black diamond because looking at them i was kind of like I don't even know what's different. Like, they're the same shape. They're both black. You can hardly see the branding. Like, when 6-0 launched, their colors of their paddles were basically all black, including the design on the black Mm. face. So it was very (laughs) hard to see. So I started hitting them, and I was like, the black diamond, I think, is probably what caught my eye first. I was like, ooh, I was like, this is just, like, a little poppier than normal. And similar with the double black diamond, I was like, oh, this isn't, like, it's more stiff than some of the other paddles that I thought this was similar to and then i think what really caught my attention was when i ran the rpm tests on it because at the time like pretty high paddles were like 1800 not basically nothing had crossed that and i think the six zero was like high 1900s or low 2000s so i was like wait a minute i was like okay that's a little different and then i had gotten a microscope around that time i think and that's when i started looking at the surface and i was like wait a minute the texture on this The pattern is like way tighter than normal, which at that time, I didn't know if that really meant anything or not. But when I looked at all the other paddles, I was like, wait, no one else is doing this. So I was like, that's something I can observe that's different. And I'm also seeing that the RPMs are higher. And then combine that with the fact that the paddles were, they felt stiffer. I was like, okay, Hmm. something is clearly different here from what I thought. So then that just made me more interested in like considering them for a review
0: yeah interesting yeah i don't think they'll mention the surface difference you mentioned a couple of things uh, one was just the 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 handle and the the face of kind of one piece which before they did that like that wasn't a, that wasn't a thing obviously that's going to make it more rigid yeah I, I would imagine so um yeah okay interesting yeah I, so i had will on last week on the podcast and mm-hmm. um he was telling me that you've been putting a lot of time on the court. So you've been outsourcing some of your work to take the the, the, the pressure off, but you managed to get, that means you managed to get on the court quite a bit. So um, how often are you playing at the moment? And uh, yeah, w- where do you play as well?
1: Yeah, I probably, so my brother's working for me now. He's doing a lot of editing. He also, he also plays pickleball, which is great because he can be a hitting partner during the day as well. Um, but I would say on average, I'm probably four days a week consistently, like five if it's really busy. Um, but it's, it's when people hear that, they're like, oh, man, like you get to drill and you get to play a lot of pickleball. Kind of like you technically get to do those things. But I think for people who haven't reviewed paddles or don't do it frequently, what you don't realize is that when you're on the court testing a paddle, your brain is so focused on every little detail of that paddle that you're not, you're almost not even thinking about playing pickleball anymore. Like every dink you hit, you're like, how did the sweet spot feel? Like, was it stiff? How, like, how would I explain this feel to someone? And then like someone speeds the ball up at you and you're like, Oh, like I was in the middle of a thought. <laughs> so <laughs> you get to play, but it's just not really uh, practice play. I still love it. I, I wouldn't change anything, but it's not quite uh, usually what people think. And then, yeah, I, I would say probably consistently about four days a week.
0: Okay, but so I was speaking to Will. He's saying twice a day. you're you're you getting on the court. He he's doing twice a day, or he thought you, I did twice a day. He thought you were doing twice a day most most days. Um, <laughs> that's funny. No, definitely not doing twice.
1: There might be certain days like yeah, when yeah. I have a really heavy workload and I have to play two days times a day, which I don't mind doing. But yeah, that's that's way
0: more uncommon than it is common <laughs> okay I'll say wow like you're really going for it because like he, he was saying like you're doing drilling in the morning and in the afternoon you're playing like for what for fun but I'm like, okay but you know, it's cool I mean uh, I, I guess like <clears throat> you now what's your aspirations you know you're famously known as you and Will, or you, I can't remember if it's you or Will and, and yourself, but three point five at best, right? Is the kind of joke on your podcast. But like, what is your aspirations? Like, did you want to progress that part of your game? Obviously, you do because you you already said that. You know, unless you feel like you're getting better at something, you kind of lose interest a little bit. But, yeah. And, and you're spending some time with the course. Yes. So what, what do you want? Yeah. What are the aspirations Th- for yourself for that?
1: It's so it's tough. This is like kind of the the conflict I've. I've dealt with in pickleball which is I know I I really like getting good at the game but I also really really like being good at my job and like being a like good trustworthy resource and it's not that you can't do both I think you know the famous quote of like you'll prioritize whatever's important to you and clearly yeah. I've prioritized work because at the moment that's more important to me but I also like, I want to be good at the game and respected as a player. So, you know, being... So, my actual rating is around four five, like 4.75 in that area. And I feel like I am a good player, but when I see my, like, peer group progressing ahead of me, that bothers me. Like, I'm like, okay, I don't want to fall outside of that friend group and mm. n- saying going down makes it sound negative. But I have friends that I like playing with and I don't want them to be like, oh, well... Chris is always focusing on work, so like we're not going to play with him anymore because he's not good enough. So it's yeah. hard to say exactly what the priority is. But I think for me, the like actual aspiration is be as good of a pickleball player as I possibly can be, which is probably never going to be pro, simply because I put too much value on my job. And I think the only way ever, if it was even possible, that that would be feasible is if I stopped making content as a whole. I would have to go 100% into being a pro. Um, but, you know, at the same time as being as good of a player as I can be, like I, I want to be where I am in pickleball, which is like, you know, one of the number one go-to sources for paddle reviews, because the whole reason I started was no one was really doing like authentic, non-biased pickleball reviews. There was a lot of people where like, you could tell they were sponsored. They were an ambassador, or it's one of the big retailers where their goal is to, sell paddles and as someone who wanted a better paddle i was like i don't know who's telling me the truth so like i decided early on like my whole thing was going to be you will get nothing but the truth from me like i don't care who the company is i don't care if it's selkirk i don't care if it's adidas i don't it doesn't matter who you are like if you make a good product you'll be rewarded if you made a bad product like people are going to know you made a bad product
0: yeah yeah that makes sense I mean, aside from the double-back diamond, which uh, we already spoke about, like what paddles or paddle paddles was like the biggest surprises for you kind of throughout 2023? Oh, that's a good question.
1: Uh, The gearbox was definitely one of them. I had very low expectations Mm. for the gearbox going in just because of, you know, their prior paddles. So that one definitely blew me away. Oh, let's see. The Legacy early on, that one was also a really big surprise because that was, you know, when Thermoforming was new. So that one, it, I think it especially caught me off guard because it was delaminated, but I didn't know it. I mean, no one knew what any of that was like around the time that was happening. So like, I'm sure, yeah. I'm sure I'm still, I would have been very impressed regardless, but I was extra impressed because I was like, wow, I'm hitting a ball harder than I've ever hit a ball before. This is insane. I just didn't know it was broken. Um. Let me look Let me look at my shelf here. What other ones, like, surprised me this year? I would say... I would say the... um. Uh, where is it? I literally just saw it and lost it in my office. Shoot, I just had it, and now I completely lost it. I don't know. There's definitely a couple other ones. I'm just trying to think, because what kind of happened this year... Oh, Carbon 1X, but that's also because it was, you know, early in the year with thermoforming. But, like, yeah. as the year progressively went on... I would say it became less about surprises and interesting and more about like everyone's making the same thing. Like everyone was in the race to make a, a thermoformed paddle. Everyone was in a race to like try and fix the issue. Um, I think the, the Perseus was probably one. It, it was interesting, but I just I personally thought it was like a little overhyped or overrated. But I thought it was interesting just because of how much buzz it had been generating because Ben was obviously playing with it. He was getting good results, and everyone was mm-hmm. like. Since thermoforming was out, everyone was like, "Is it a thermoformed paddle? Is it something different?" Like, yeah, everyone was just racing. Like, what could it be? So, I think that was another pretty interesting one. But after that, it was a lot of the same this year.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ask you a question now, which I, I said I promised I won't trick you into anything but it's not really good it's not really a trick but it's uh you know, yeah. thermoform paddles like you know they're new this year they're like the the invoke thing right so like you know if you look try and look and this this is why it's a difficult question like you try and look into the future like two years time do you think thermoform paddles will still be the thing or will it be just be something new
1: no I, there's no way i think I, I think in two years time like paddles are p- probably going to look quite different than they do now and I know some companies are already working on some stuff for 2024 that it's not it's not thermoformed but will be very interesting and I think have play characteristics that people are that they really like I think the problem with thermoforming is while some companies seem to have a pretty good solution for fixing the core crushing uh, not everyone has figured that out and I don't know how long it's going to take them to figure that out And I just don't know how long companies are going to want to deal with these returns. Like, it's, I think at some point, like, we're going to look back at thermoforming and kind of be like, oh, yeah, that was, like, a cool thing for a while. But now we got something that makes that look like
0: child's play, probably. Yeah. 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 I mean, I asked um, Dale, like, a similar question. And he had a kind of different take on it a little bit because I guess he's thought about, like, you know, the manufacturing process, like in China, like where a lot of the paddles are like manufactured or in the, in, you know, in the East, like uh, there's been a lot of investment from these companies in like thermoforming equipment. So they're not, they want to get a return on investment yeah. in that before they like move on to something else. But yeah. I guess with innovation, like someone comes and innovates with something and it's better. It doesn't really matter if people have these these machines, right? Uh, so I, I don't know. Like, and I guess yeah i guess even from dale's perspective like he's he, he probably wants to like get some some value out of the ip that he's built like he probably doesn't want something to change yeah. too quick like and he, at least he him not be on the front of that innovation if it is so i guess someone's just got to come yeah. in and, and shake things up at some point but yeah for sure yeah okay so I, we, yeah, I, I heard Will's side of the story for, for when you guys met and Will uh, contacting you out of the blue and kind of <laughs> wanted to get in touch with you and come, 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 come see you at your house. Like, I'm I'm interested in like hearing your side of the story, like being stalked by some, <laughs> some guy, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, this was really funny because I, it's so funny because
1: I think if someone tried to do this now... There's just no way it would work. I think Will was in a perfect storm of like, we were both new content creators. You know, I, I, enjoy, well, I still enjoy meeting people. It's not that I don't, but like, basically, he, he reached out and I was like, okay, I've seen some of this guy's stuff. I was like, this is kind of a weird ask, but like, let's get on a phone and talk. And to be honest, I probably thought the answer was going to be no. Like, I don't want to mm-hmm. do this. But the way he phrased it was kind of just like, can I come watch you work? Like, I'm trying to get back into filmmaking. Could I just come shadow you on a job? And I was like, I don't even know if I have any jobs for you to shadow me, but I was like, I don't know pickleball stuff. I'm sure we could make some videos and we'll figure some stuff out. But I was like, basically the only condition is that you have to have your own car and you have to have like an Airbnb. Cause there was absolutely no way my wife was going to let a random guy off the internet stay in our apartment, <laughs> which perfectly reasonable. That's a super reasonable <laughs> thing to not want to do and uh you know we just we hit it off really well on some of the early phone calls and then when he got here i was like okay this guy's a lot of fun i really like being around him like we just we clicked really well and i just think if that was part of it is the workload is so busy these days that i think if someone was like can i come just be around you for a week it's like <laughs> dude i don't have the time to like babysit is the wrong word, but I just, you know, to think about another person while I'm doing all these things is difficult. So Mm -hmm. yeah, it was definitely a very weird ask from Will, but I think it was just the absolute perfect timing to have asked that weird question. (laughs) Yeah.
0: I'm surprised you've had a, had a lot more people ask you since actually. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I will say like it, even just for will, like thinking about it now, I'm like, man, it was a big investment, both time and money wise. Like, an Airbnb for a week plus a rental car like and food and everything, you know, he was probably looking at over $2,000 just to come be with another YouTuber who he, you know, it could have equally been as bad for him. He could have showed up here and been like, this guy sucks. Like he's not that interesting and he hasn't taught me anything. Like <laughs> <laughs> definitely a gamble for him too.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, especially when he said he was broke and he put it all on a credit card. So yeah, it's definitely a gamble
1: that's even crazier to me honestly he's probably lucky that he never when he did that and was doing it he's lucky he didn't tell me because i am like i really like finances and like i've never had debt or anything and it like the thought of carrying like credit card debt like terrifies me so i feel like if i had known he was doing that i would have been like dude this is a really bad idea please do not go into debt to come see me like i am such an average guy like it's not worth it
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can imagine that's funny (laughs) yeah so so you're 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 uh based out of minnesota so like you know what's what have you seen the growth like in minnesota itself in terms of pickleball
1: yeah i mean it's been honestly i love minnesota i think people in the u.s They don't think Minnesota Pickleball, that we would be either very good at the game or that we would have very many courts. But for whatever reason, they are just putting in courts everywhere here. Like, it feels like outdoor courts are being installed over the summer all the time. And then we keep having indoor facilities pop up all over the place. We have uh, Lifetime was founded here, which is just, you know, like a luxury gym or whatever. And the founder loves Pickleball. So he pretty much... All the major lifetimes here have a ton of pickleball courts, and then we have other facilities like Mega Pickle and Pong, Lucky Shots, Drop Shots. I mean, there's a bunch of different facilities, and they just keep keep coming, so it has exploded over here, and even the local park that I go to, and I have been going to since I started in pickleball, this last summer, I would show up there, and I basically did not know anybody there, largely because... The people that I grew up playing with there, they all got better and they, you know, kind of went to different places. But now I'm like, dude, like there's like a bunch of young kids here in the middle of the day. There's like 10 year olds mm-hmm. playing pickleball. And then in the evenings, uh, there was like two days a week this year where like a college would just come and there was tons of college kids wow. playing pickleball. And when I started, the youngest person on the court was me at like 27 <laughs> And then the next youngest was probably like 45 for quite yeah. some time. So
0: yeah.
1: it's crazy how much younger it's gotten and just how many courts are being put in. Like everyone always tells me, they're like, do you want to move to like California or Florida or uh, Arizona where it's nicer and they have more courts? And I'm like, honestly, no, because you guys have so many more pickleball people that even though you have more courts, they're still busier than the courts mm-hmm. that I have here.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. we can only dream of uh, what's happening in the U.S. at the moment. We're still playing on badminton courts over here. So, I mean, have you ever played on a badminton court?
1: No, I haven't. Actually, (laughs) how many? Is it really hard for you guys to find courts? Is it only like one or two places, or like how does it look over there?
0: So yeah, like almost entirely, like it's pickleball courts, right? Uh, Sorry, pickleball courts. It's badminton courts. So it's like a wooden surface. It's an indoor like squidgy ball. The game is just different. It's just slower. The the ball skids off the surface. It's not great. Um, So when you get to play on like an asphalt court, on a tennis court, it's like just so much better. So occasionally there'll be festivals that are like a a gym uh, where they take down on the tennis courts. So that's better. But there's only one facility, dedicated facility, like in the UK. And that that opened a couple of months ago. And it's three courts. Um, So... Mm and that's just like roll out mats that they had They had them at the English open. So like, you know, the pickle, they are pickleball United, but it's like pickle roll, uh, kind of stuff. Ah, um, but, um, yeah. And there's, there are a few like, at, like dead, other dedicated courts now. Um, but like, they're just like normally like one court in a health spa or something like that. You know, there's, there's very, very little, sure. Um, yeah, there's very, very little dedicated courts, but, and I've been talking to a few people and there's definitely stuff coming for like 2024, I think. So um, I've had a lot of um, people looking at creating facilities that are not just pickleball, but like paddle as well. So that combined facilities mm. with like a um, what's it called, like a community space in the middle. So like, you know, the, the problem with like rent and everything, it, it's probably the same over there. But like you can't just you can't just run a facility based on on um court hire alone or just membership alone it's just yeah it's just too expensive so it needs to have you need to have food and a bar and things like that to to supplement that so yeah it's it's still really 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 early in terms of like facilities here
1: yeah does it feel like the general response Well, for example like i feel like in the u.s we always deal with like Tennis players are like, get off our courts, pickleball people. Like, this is so annoying. Do the badminton people feel that way about you guys using their area?
0: <laughs> you know what? But it's, nobody's using them, right? So it's oh, not okay. that bad. And like with badminton courts, right? It's the same court. It's the same size court. Or, you know, you can use a badminton court. and You just change the kitchen line. You just have to put a piece of tape or some. In out the place where I play, they've actually painted an additional line, a different color there. So you can kind of tell the difference. It's not. It's no badminton. There's no. There's no one paying badminton. I've never seen anyone play badminton like at our local leisure centre. So like, yeah, I don't think it's a. It's a thing. And and actually, I think the tennis people aren't quite so militant over here as I was, as it seems to be in a lot for many parts of the US. It's it's people. There's quite a lot of tennis players that are kind of adopting it uh, oh. as well. So mm. I haven't come up against like snobby people yet, but I'm sure that I'm sure they exist. Ah.
1: Yeah, that's good. It'll be really nice when you guys do start having... I mean, I'm sure you've already experienced this just from playing on the hard surface court, but once you get used to the hard surface court, it's so hard to go back to the gym because when oh, yeah. I started, I played on a lot of gym floors, and now I'm at the point where it's... I don't want to say it's not fun. I would still rather play on a gym floor than not play at all, but it's almost like a different game. Like The ball oh. speed is different. Like. The, Everything is just very... Even how you move on the court, like I'm someone who who likes to slide a lot and you just can't slide on a gym floor. Like you'll break your ankle because there's so much friction between your court and the floor.
0: Yeah. No, it, yeah, it makes me sad every time we go back to... Like I played out in Arizona for a little bit this summer um, as well, which made it even worse. So I played on... Uh, yeah. I played where the, where one of the PPA stops like uh, in Scottsdale uh, and there and then like there was an indoor facility which is air conditioned and everything which was just six weeks old or something it was brand new it was yeah it was so nice but yeah going from like occasionally there's like big events like the english open the nationals where you can get to play on better courts and yeah i I come back to to the gym and it makes me sad but sadly i don't really have a choice like that's most of the time that's all all the choice you have (laughs) was it hard when you
1: came to this was it hard to use like a Franklin or a Dura because you guys are so used to using
0: the indoor ball? Uh, well, no, because I, I have, I'm familiar with you. Generally, all the tournaments here like use X-40s. So like when, or the festivals mm. when it's on an outdoor surface, like use an X-40. So I was familiar with it. It takes a little while to get used to it because you end up hitting it too too hard out the back of the court for the first like half a game. Yeah. But you kind of get used to it because yeah, right. it, it just travels faster and further, right? And heavier. But yeah, for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I'm so with you about it being a different game. Like it, once you've, once you've, once you've gone to like the hard ball and the hard court or the, you know, the hard outdoor surface, you never really want to go back. But <laughs> no, <laughs> most people don't even experience that. haven't even experienced that yet in the UK. They've just used to badminton course. It's probably better that way. <laughs> I was going to say, it's probably
1: better for them to not know what they're missing. Cause once you know, it's like, oh man, like it just feels like a downgrade. So you just got to, until there's enough outdoor courts, you just got to let them, ignorance is
0: bliss. Well, that's the thing about the UK as well. I don't think there'll be many outdoors. Like there will be some, but like, it's going to be indoor facilities, I'd imagine, because of the weather, like it'll be so few months. Oh, right. Really that you'd end up playing. Similar to sort of Seattle weather, I suppose, where they probably have a bunch of outdoor courts, but. um, Yeah. Yeah. So. um, In terms of, like a normal day, then, like or, or a normal week. I asked Will this as well. And he's very organized. Like he does, he, he, he buckets everything into one day. And then there's days like, how, how do you structure your week in terms of all the things you've got going on?
1: Yeah, this is something I want to do better next year. And I'm hoping while I'm on my break to kind of think more about this because it, it's not entirely random. Like there is a structure. Like I ideally, I'd like to get on the court and hit at least once a day. Uh, because you know, it just makes the paddle review go quicker. If I'm not hitting paddles, like yeah. I probably don't have as many things to work on, but usually how it works, like the things we do have structured are on Sunday. That's when Will and I record the podcast. We usually do it reasonably late at night. Cause that's just one works for us. And then, uh, my brother will edit the podcast on Monday. I'll work on like the thumbnail title and all that stuff. Once he finishes it, he gives it to me and then I'll upload And then the rest of the day is either spent – if I've already hit a paddle, it's me writing my thoughts down and, like, turning it into a script. If I haven't done that yet, I need to go out and hit. Or sometimes, like – this is kind of why it's all over the place is sometimes projects are just in different stages of, like, priority and where they need to be. Like, uh, there might be a paddle review that my brother's editing, and he's pretty much done, so now I need to go and review it. But what I want next year – is something more structured where it's like okay maybe every morning we're gonna go hit for an hour and a half and then after that i'm gonna write and then after that like i'll give a load of paddles to my brother for him to get the the b-roll of everything that we put over top uh in the videos i think more structure would just make some of the work days a little easier because there's definitely times where there's no high priority task and then you kind of have to sit there and go like what do i want to prioritize and when you have 20 different tasks it's like i don't know what i what i feel like working on today sometimes it's even just boring stuff like emails like i actually get a ton of emails about stuff so sometimes i just have to sit there for you know like 45 minutes and knock out a bunch of emails
0: yeah yeah totally yeah i'm, I'm gonna do the same over christmas and try and try and focus on my inner will and uh, see if I can kind of structure some days a little bit better. But yeah, that, yeah, that's my plan too. Yeah.
1: It, I think it helps a ton when like the times when we have been very structured, when there's been a very set list of priorities, like those are great because you just have a clear objective every day, rather than waking up and going like, what
0: is my objective today? Yeah. So much more efficient. Yeah, for sure. Get feel it like yeah. again. So we're, we're definitely almost closing out the year now, 2023, like, if you had to pick a few like memorable moments for you, you know, this year, what would they be?
1: Oh man, that's a really good question. Let's see. All right. Let me think back early through the year. So mid-year, early summer. I So I think one that immediately comes to mind would definitely be U.S. Open. That was a lot of fun. Um I was there with my brother, Will, wife, uh, you know, one of Will's friends. That was a lot of fun. Um, it was just it was a good tournament. Me and my brother got fourth, thought we played pretty well. And then honestly, most of the memorable things are probably all tournaments, because the next one I was gonna say was the San Clemente PPA tournament that I was just with. And that one specifically stands out because it was a little bit more of a vacation than it was work. Almost every single trip this year was work related, but since this one was so close to the end of the year and we were going with a large group of people from Minnesota, I was like, okay, I'm not gonna make any content. Like I'm here to just compete and just have a good time. And I think playing with partners I had never played with before, I got to play with Davis pickleball. He was super fun. And then also just every day after pickleball hanging out with like, you know, eight of my really good pickleball friends. It it just was a good reminder of like This is what pickleball is supposed to be. It's supposed Mm -hmm. to be really fun, like lower stress environment. Like not everything has to be taken so seriously all the time. It was just kind of like, this is why you like the sport to begin with. Like you need to remember these things when you are getting stressed or burnt out. Like how can you bring it back to more of this? Even if it means like maybe there's a little less content going out. Like the way that I've started to view things is – How can I be doing this like 10 years from now? And maybe that means instead of trying to go crazy and do three videos a week and review every single paddle, maybe that means I'm only doing one paddle review a week or even every other week. But it allows me to be doing this a long time from now. And I think a lot of people don't look at things that way. It's easy to spin your wheels really fast for a year, but you can't spin your wheels like that for 10 years and still be passionate about it.
0: Yeah, yeah. For sure. I've been there a few times. Yeah, for sure. Looking forward then to the next 12, 24 months, like, you know, pickleball's growing fast. Like, what do you see happening in pickleball? What changes do you see happening? And I guess, what are you most excited about in the coming years? Oh, man. Like, what
1: area of pickleball? Just anywhere in pickleball? Anywhere, yeah. Personal to you. Ah, man. Yeah, that's tough. I mean, I think the area where my mind immediately goes is obviously paddles. Cause that's the thing I'm most involved in. I do think, I don't think it next year is going to be like an absolutely like, Oh my gosh, pickleball paddles are never going to be the same, but I think there's a few being worked on that will definitely have a probably an almost thermoforming level of impact on the game. It it's obviously hard to say if it'll be exactly that, but I think some of the performance levels I've seen, could lead to that, which I think will lead to more paddle testing and like things maybe getting more strict or them having to adapt more. What I personally want to see is less paddle drama, because even though that's part of my job, I really don't like the drama side of things because for example, like this gearbox is actually a great example of like drama that I don't like because everyone's like, this paddle should be illegal, and then rumors yeah. spread. It, it turns into this paddle should be illegal to somebody thinking that meant, "Hey, somebody said this paddle is going to get banned. Can yeah. you tell us more about that?" And I'm like, "Well, no one said that. Like, you know, I, some of the drama just gets a little bit overblown sometimes. And it when you're covering the same thing over and over, like, hey, this paddle's core crushing, or this paddle does X, Y, and Z, you're just kind of like." Can we just talk about a paddle and be happy that it? I can smack a plastic ball with it. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah.
0: so I just hope there's less drama overall. Is probably my my biggest thing. Okay, that's your hope for like the next. Well, I don't know if that's going to happen, Chris. I don't. Yeah, I don't know, it yeah, I don't I'll, know, I'll, know I'll if it will, will either. Another. But
1: <laughs> fingers fingers crossed.
0: Yeah. No drama <laughs> with the MLP and the PPA as well, right? Yeah. That's, there's no ah <laughs> oh,
1: please either. yeah i'm definitely <laughs> i'm so over that i don't know what it's like following it from the uk but at least from here i'm like if i could never hear about these two bickering again yeah i'd be super happy
0: yeah it's so sad yeah it's so sad that's this that's where we're at at the moment with it i mean hopefully they hopefully in 22 they can like you know we can kind of find some harmony there that would be i think that's better for the sport as well it's no good for the sport to be to be up in yeah,
1: yeah. definitely like, better for the sport, yeah,
0: yeah, cool I tend to what what is the... actually
1: over there? do a lot of people watch the pro scene or follow pros at all, or is it like very limited,
0: yeah, so what I' say it's like a, it's it's a mix so a bit a little bit like you said when you first started playing, like the old the youngest person was you, and like it, it it's very much an older person scene still at the moment, so you know they they're not even really aware often of what's going on with pick the the English Open even exists as a thing or you know and mm. you know they just don't watch the YouTube they don't they they're not interested in watching the US coverage they don't know nothing about the pros like generally I would say like the large percentage but as people might myself or young uh, people that are younger that are getting into it yeah for sure they're interested in it but right now I wouldn't say it has like huge kind of following um, but but growing yeah. But, Obviously, amongst the pros over yeah, here and the, the more higher level players over here, they're they're following it. They're interested. That was one of the reasons I started the podcast because I had nobody to talk about it with. I was really getting into watching all of the pro events in the US and excited. And I go down to my local my club and like you know talking to like eight, an eighty eight year old woman who's playing, and I'm like, you know, did you see the MLP? And then she's like, what What is that? Like, so yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> so, like so a, funny. I needed to find some people to talk to about pickleball so um yeah that's one of the reasons I started there. that's the
1: podcast. yeah <laughs> that makes a lot of sense yeah that's kind of probably where I figured it would be over there you know people I mean even here to be honest like if you show up at a local court like the vast majority of people probably can't even name a pro and if they can it's probably only Ben Johns but I think you know obviously it being here the the pro scene's larger but I kind of figured over there and just be like yeah we just want to play the game like i, I don't know who who a ben johns is or a you know federico <laughs> or whatever
0: he's the guy that made my paddle he's got his name on it <laughs> uh, do you play with a perseus no i mean that's just like the person at the court saying you know he must have made my paddle his name oh, yeah, on it. Uh, yeah. yeah right but actually i, I do play with nice. scorpio so so mm. which one for uh, uh 14 Colin or 16 yeah Colin Johns one yeah sixteen ah actually you can I think you can get the fourteen now the Anna Bright one by like uh like but you, until just recently you couldn 't even get it over here, so but yeah the school uh yeah I mm. was i mean when I first started, I played with the um Hyperion when I first started, I had no idea about what paddles to get, and I figured well, if the number one guy plays with Hyperion like, I should just get that, so I got that, and mm. then I just bought the Perseus because it was like an upgrade. But then I started retailing a few. Um, um, I've got like look an, an online shop, right? And so I started getting some more paddles and demo paddles. And I just like the Scorpius more because it just, for me, at the level I'm at, definitely 3.5 at best, for real. Like, just a bigger sweet spot. And like, it just felt, it just felt, it, it suited me better. But, um, You know,
1: it's yeah. funny. Well, I, think- I was actually going to talk with Will about this on a podcast recently, but I don't, I think we'll probably save it. Um, but it was, I actually think most people in pickleball would be better with a standard shaped paddle. Like I feel like at a certain point, people kind of go like, oh, well, I should just be using an elongated paddle. Yeah. But when you actually look at the stats of a standard shaped paddle, it has almost everything that a, a most rec players up to like even four or five actually need, which is a low swing weight, so you have faster hands and a high twist weight. so the sweet spot feels better or at least less jarring when you miss because yeah. we all miss and i'm just like literally the only thing you give up is half an inch which if you don't move your feet that might make a big difference but it <laughs> like the more i've started to think about it i'm like huh i actually think standard shape should be more popular than it is because it's it's just better for most pickleball players i think
0: i totally agree like from from my own experience I, I've, I've found definitely that seems to play out i i would say so yeah yeah Okay, so so for yourself personally, like you, you know, looking again forward over the next twelve twelve months, let's not go too far into the future. Is there any specific plans that you have for Pickleball the channel? That anything you're able to share?
1: Yeah, these are things that I'm like going to be planning out more on my break. I think it will be there will be a lot of the same in terms of you know reviews and trying to make um, the production value better. There, like you know, more data that we can give people that makes buying a paddle easier but I haven't really gotten to sit down yet and figure out like what exactly do we want it to look like how much content is it a week is there other types of content we could branch into that could be interesting like actually one I did this year that I'd like to do more of but I will see what happens is uh, it was the video of me like hitting 15,000 backhands in two weeks and I liked doing that because I got to get better at the game And it was also technically work. So it it hits two things that are really important to me. And I kind of want to do more of those. But people also just expect to see paddle reviews from me. So it's, you know, you have to balance like what people want and what you want to do. So it's hard to say now. But honestly, I think my biggest goal is just going to be be able to play more a little bit more for myself and get better as a player while also maintaining the same level of content that we've
0: been doing. Yeah, yeah. That's your, that's your challenge to solve then over the Christmas break. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, that's right.
1: Because <laughs> the way I view it is like, if I'm growing as a player and I'm I'm feeling good about it, like it yeah. it just makes the content easier. Like when you're happy, you're just having a better time. And there's just been several times this year where like I would be so bummed out about like my level of play after like a tournament that like coming back to work was just exhausting because i'm like man i'm like such a bad pickleball player so <laughs> i'm just like I, I i i'd like to not have those feelings going into 2024
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah what's that what's that? i can't remember that um oh, i can't remember that kind of something syndrome where you like you feel like you're faking it like i'm such a bad pickleball player oh you know, imposter like, syndrome imposter syndrome mm-hmm. i I'm presenting myself to the world as like the gaming you know, pickleball guru but i'm I'm 2.5 at best this week, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that,
1: yeah, imposter syndrome. It's funny you say that actually, because literally right before Pickleball, that's what I, I was experiencing like severe, severe, severe imposter syndrome for probably like a year. And it was actually because of the, the Netflix documentary. Cause I was ah, like, right. I was so early in my career and usually in filmmaking being like 23 and doing that big of a production, is like not very common. So everyone's older in that industry and like, it's kind of gate kept. So after that, going back to normal filmmaking, I was kind of like, wow, like you can't get these big jobs. Like maybe you are an imposter. It's like, it's just funny you say that. Cause I like experienced a ton of that and thought I would maybe experience that in pickleball at some point, which Thankfully, I haven't because it yeah. like imp- I hope no one ever experiences it. It's not fun. Like it's no, it's a no. definitely not good thing to go through.
0: No, I get I get that all the time as well. So yeah, it's not it's not fun at all. Um. So yeah, have you, got, have, you have you mapped out twenty twenty four at all? Have you got any events in the calendar that you're planning to attend?
1: Uh no events yet, and I probably won't plan them out very far in advance because with the merger of PPA and MLP. I'm like half convinced that some of these events are going to change last minute anyways. And I already learned my lesson with MLP last year where I booked a, I booked for an event and then they moved it from California to Texas and all my stuff was already booked there. So I just went to California and basically had a pickleball vacation. And I was kind of annoyed that I missed MLP. So with the merger being sketchy at the moment, I just don't trust that these events are going to happen where they claim they're going to happen. So I'll probably book my stuff like a month in advance moving forward. So I don't
0: have that issue. <laughs> What's it like get tickets for MLP? Can you get them like closer to the day generally? Have you found? Yeah. I So
1: I've been fortunate enough that I usually just like know, like, you know, Zane or someone uh, like, yeah, yeah. they're just like, Oh, I can get you a ticket and they kind of get me in or whatever. But I don't think there's any issue like showing up at the gate and getting okay. a ticket. I mean, these these events do have a lot of people, but they're not so many people that it's like if you don't buy these a month in advance you're not getting in. Like yeah, it's yeah. it's still pretty easy to get in no matter what.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to attend an MLP event. Maybe I maybe I'll start thinking about that for next year. See if I can get over it some point. That
1: would be I If you're ever going to go to an event, an MLP event is definitely one to go to cuz the atmosphere of them is just crazy and obviously, you know, you get to see a lot of high-level play like definitely highly recommend going to one
0: if you get the chance yeah and that beer city is it beer city open event that sounds that sounds fun too yeah that one's actually i think
1: that might be the hardest event to get into in pickleball like i right. think several years in a row now it has sold out in less than 15 minutes of like being live which is insane for a pickleball wow. tournament
0: wow that is mad. yeah but that that's that yeah. like yeah it sounds it sounds yeah they, they do things a bit different there don't they so it's a, a fun event but...
1: yeah i i want i hope actually that's one i'd like to go to next year for sure if possible because i just hear so much about it
0: yeah yeah okay well chris um we've rolling up to around an hour and 10 minutes right now so um i want to be respectful of your time but if anybody wants to kind of follow what you're doing can... then uh where should they go
1: Yeah, just Pickleball Studio pretty much everywhere. Pickleballstudio.com, Pickleballstudio, YouTube, Instagram. Uh, Those are all the best places. And, you know, follow Will, too. He's like like half part of the – it's really funny. Everyone thinks that him and I, like, jointly own Pickleball Studio, that we're, like, one thing. But it's just, like, the only joint thing we have is the podcast. So it's always very funny. But you should follow Will, too, because we do, you know, frequently do content as well. So – uh, I think it's just Pickleball Will on like Instagram and YouTube, but yeah. yeah, those are the places I'm mostly on. Awesome.
0: Well, thanks very much, Chris, for taking the time out of your day. Once again, um, it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Uh really fun conversation. So um, yeah, thanks and just have a, have a great day.
1: Yeah, you too. Thanks for having me.